welcome to the Talent Equals Podcast. I'm your host, William Layton, and thank you for joining us again. In today's episode, we're talking about life insurance. Now, now, wait. I know you may be thinking, why would I listen to a show about life insurance? It's not exactly interesting, life insurance. And for the most part, you're right. But this is a different one, because I have the guests of an insurtech who I've been following I think probably doing the most interesting work when it comes to marketing and communicating a product. And they're doing it in life insurance. I have the co-founders, Phil Zeigler and Andy Knott of Dead Happy. Dead Happy are doing something altogether different. They are taking what is otherwise a very boring, very conventional sector of life insurance and they are transforming it into something cool. They're actually talking about death, putting it front and center in their name. They're then rethinking how can we serve a set of customers in a truly unique way? Well, they do that by creating something called death wishes. And then they've also rethought the entire way that you sign up for life insurance, making a simple set of questions really easy to answer and then delivering a highly flexible product, which actually delivers what the customer wants. So you know what? It's a great chat. We learn how you can walk a more adventurous road of creativity. And so if you're interested in making your business more authentically you, or more authentically who your customers are, then this is an episode for you to invest in. I hope you enjoy, and I'll see you on the other side. Phil and Andy, welcome to Talent Equals. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Hi. Nice to, nice to be here. Fantastic. Well, gentlemen, I've um, wanted you on the show because I've continually been enjoying the marketing and the messaging and the story that is dead happy. It's got to be one of the, the, the funnest and engaging insurance brands that I've seen in the market. And so I'm really excited to sort of have a chat with you about the development of Dead Happy and your relationship as founders and and sort of where the business is going. So, um, but for those of you out there who haven't been as actively stalking Dead Happy as I have been, um, I would be sort of, maybe you could just tell us, well, first of all, who you guys are and what Dead Happy is all about. Sure. Let me kick off and, and Andy will fill in all the gaps I miss. Yeah, so Phil Zeidler, obviously one of the co-founders of Dead Happy, um, background in insurance, um, very much so, um, set up a few different insurance businesses um, a long time ago, um, the last of which um, uh, was a big white labeling business called uh, Junction. Um, most people won't know the name of Junction, but if you buy motor and home insurance from the likes of banks, building societies, M&S, post office, et cetera, you're buying it on a white label basis from the business I set up. So very much steeped in, in insurance uh, background. Um, done a few different things with my life, haven't been insurance all in, uh, uh, forever, uh, but never done anything in life insurance until the dead happy opportunity came along. So um, that's core background. Um, in terms of, um, I guess, my my view of why, why dead happy, um, why I was keen to do dead happy, um, I've got a very personal element to it. Um, so way back in 2005, when I was a, a very fit, young, healthy, 
30 plus year old. Um, I had a very unexpected near-death experience. Um, I had an infection. Um, it was, um, I, I, my, and I actually turned into, um, went into septic shock, body shut down, um, and I ended up on intensive care. Uh, and I was in a coma for, uh, for a week or so, you know, obviously I, something I don't remember. Um, mm. And the truth is, if you go through an experience like that, I had a wife, a lovely wife, she told me to say that, and two delightful children um, who were aged two and four. It does make you think, what would have happened if I died? Um, and I had life insurance and I had a will and all the rest of it, but I went and checked them and, and I wanted to change them and I want to do different things as you do uh, when something like that happens. And I couldn't, um, or I certainly couldn't very easily. Um, and that was a real frustration from a customer's perspective. As someone who'd been in the insurance space all this time and I was used to flexibility, you know, I didn't understand why I couldn't just actually adjust the products that I had to meet my needs. So that was a real frustration. And, and there's something, in truth, um, uh, as frustrating as I did, I thought about it and I spoke to a few people, but didn't do much about um, all the way up until I met Andy, uh, which was in 2013. Uh, that's my bit, I guess. Um, yeah. Yes, so Andy, uh, I'm obviously co-founder as well. Uh, yeah, I guess my story started, um, yeah, way back 10 years ago, I suppose. I can, I, when I uh, have sort of weird ideas, I tend to buy domain names. And I've, I found out sort of recently that um, they act as sort of like a bookmarking thing for me. So I have a weird idea by the domain name and I leave it there. And every year comes around and I have to re-register it. So I have to actually sort of pay money to keep it. And it's kind of works as an idea and a culling sort of idea culling thing as well. Um, hmm. So if you, that stuff happened. And then obviously the deadhappy.com domain name was there. So I thought, yeah, there's definitely something in that. And... I suppose not a similar experience to Phil, but um, I couldn't get life insurance, no, no matter how hard I tried, because of you know, um, well, actually mental health reasons. So, I've um, I've had uh, depression for the last twenty five years. I've been on medication for twenty five years, and I just haven't hadn't been able to get life insurance. Um, and so the the pressure of not being able to get life insurance combined with the pressure of my lovely wife um, going at me to get life insurance sort of triggered uh, the thing that I thought, you know what, I think it can probably be done better. Um, I, di I didn't really understand why I couldn't have it because I'm not mm. suicidal. I'm not massively weird, only a little bit. Um, no more than normal. Uh, there you go. No more than normal. Um, yeah. And it just didn't make sense. It just didn't make sense at all. So um, mm. I asked a, a, a mate of mine if he knew anyone that, that knew anything about insurance, that anything about life insurance. And he said, yeah, he does. He knows this guy. He's brilliant. He's clever, smart, intelligent. Um, unfortunately, that guy was busy. So... <laughs> So I got introduced to Phil instead. <laughs> um, and then we hooked up at Costa in Lotsworth, I think it was. And it was like a, when sort of stars align in a way. I think he, he, um, he was, I mean, he's much further ahead in the thinking in terms of what insurance should be. And 
And then I had this sort of weird idea for a brand and, and it kind of aligned. And, and we played around with it, didn't we, for a few years, I guess. Um, and, um, and it got to a point where it's like, you know what, we keep coming back and we, we keep getting really excited about it. So we've got to do it. We've got to, we've got to do something about it. Hmm. And then we, that's when our sort of journey started. So it's interesting. So I hear in the similarities there that there were two kind of fundamental needs that you both had as customers in a way. Yeah. And I mean, they're both quite intense topic, though, really. I mean, around death, like death being the catalyst for creation in this instance is like you're both thinking about like your own mortality and then trying to figure out how you can sort of fill your own requirement that you had. So, and I think that's actually what I quite, I find quite interesting about life insurance because everybody needs it, right? Everybody or everybody could use it or benefit from it because we're all going to die at some point. It's just our perception of that mortality, our perception of that thing occurring, which really kind of drives the need for it. So, and, and, and that's in that moment that I suppose I, I'd like to explore with you my next question around sort of the, the sort of sexiness of insurance, because so many of the, the big organizations out there have, been, have got life insurance products, right? You can go any, pretty much any insuring, buy a life insurance product. And so it, but it tends to be a very bland, very corporate type experience, right? Um, you know, it's, don't really, but you guys have gone an entirely different way with Dead Happy. You, you, you have a skull, <laughs> which, uh, and you have this kind of that it's in the name Dead, right? So these are things that are not normal things to do in insurance when it comes to life insurance. I mean, they don't even call it death insurance; they call it life insurance. Mm. So, um, yeah, and so that's the question I suppose I get to is. How are you making insurance sexy? And did you go to make insurance sexy with Dead Happy? <laughs> I, I think I, I think it's just a pretty selfish thing for I think both Phil and I. It's, it's just something we wanted. You know, I wanted to get life insurance, and I wanted to get it in a certain way. I think Phil's exactly the same. So, in essence, it's a very sort of selfish project or mm. selfish company. Yeah, I, I think, uh, and the way I think, I mean, I think I'll be honest with him. I don't think anyone can ever make insurance sexy. No, I think uh, <laughs> you know. Um, so it, it might be, you know, it's an, it's sexy, you know, it, obviously increasingly to to the investors and you know the insure tech and all the rest of it. But from a customer's perspective, you're never going to, and we don't even, I don't think we aspire to make it sexy because that's just a bit weird. Uh, um, <laughs> But what we do aspire to do is to make it simple and easy. Um, and, and I guess that's probably the reflection precisely as Andy just said. You know, if I want to buy something, and I, and I recognize that I'm not in our, you know, that sort of core millennial bracket, which is where most people need life insurance. You know, when do you need life insurance? It's when you, you know, you've got, you have big commitments like a mortgage or long-term partner or children, et cetera. And that, tends to be that sort of 25 to 40 year old that's the first time you sort of think about buying it and then you you know you look at people that you say well how do you want to buy a product do you you know does does, does it well uh, and i do include myself in here do i want to just be able to go online and just buy something you know in my own time whenever i feel like it 
um, not how to speak to someone, or do I have to? Do I want to go out and visit someone, uh, or have you know a long phone call with someone, um, getting you know intimate details of my life? It, it's a pretty obvious answer in my mind. I have no interest in speaking to someone <laughs> if I don't have to. Um, and the truth is, life insurance, and this is the this is the key thing. Life insurance is a really really simple product you know you, you you buy it you buy a certain amount of cover and if you die it pays out if you don't die it doesn't you know it, it is it is one of the simplest products like insurance products available so i think our real frustration certainly my frustration and i and i'm talking about it from the insurance product perspective is is it any wonder that eight and a half million people who have a need for protection don't have it. There's huge protection gap. The industry's talked about it forever. I've not done anything about it. Well, you know, it seems pretty obvious to me that part of the problem is it's really dull. It doesn't engage people. It's you know, and it takes forever. Mm-hmm. Um, throwing it actually the way they price it quite expensive. You know, you've got the holy trinity there. But what we can do and what we've done and you know some of the stuff um, that certainly we developed over time of outside of the insurance product the insurance product we're delighted with i think it's a brilliant product it's far better for the customer but it's a death wishes platform and how we get people to emotionally engage and think about the product if if anything could be sexy for me that's the sexy bit and i have to say and just to be really clear begrudgingly obviously this is where andy's andy's thinking around um the customer and perception and something was fundamental in designing the whole of the death wish um mm. sort of process really Thanks for well, that. Pay, pay you later. <laughs> well, that, that's, it's interesting because you say it can't be sexy. And I mean, let's define what I mean by sexy. I mean, an, an appealing product that people feel drawn to and want to be engaging with, right? And I think you've actually done a lot of that. And I, I'm glad you mentioned about the death wishes because I think it's, it's sort of, um, that's a really interesting product, the way it's described, the way it's called. Um, and how that may actually engage with customers. So, I mean, Phil, you are the insurance exec as such, and Andy, you're the marketer, right? So maybe I get you to talk to that as well then. I mean, do you think it can, like the, the way you've created these death wishes, can it be sexy? Can we engage customers in making insurance a product they really want and they want to keep and, and is fun? Yeah, I, I think the death wishes could, could enable that. I mean, to, to, to Phil's point there, because I mean, insurance in itself is, frustrating, annoying. It's, it's a really annoying purchase. Um, and we kind of t- describe life insurance as the bet you don't want to win because it, mm. it is a bet. We are all going to die. We just don't know when. So I guess we're just honest with it. It's just, it is what it is. Um, I think with the, the way marketing has life insurance, it feels as if um, there was a core cool product and then it's been wrapped in layers and layers of features and functionality and different things, level term and decreasing and connected to your mortgage and all those sorts of things. And then it's been handed over to some marketing guys and they're told, right, sell that. And and that's a, it's a really tough job. And I think that's probably why you, you, you kind of see the advertising is where it is. I mean, I, I personally find it really patronising the, the way it's, life insurance is advertised at the moment. Um, there's a bit of scaremongering or guilt uh, guilt tripping in there, and 
I think people are a bit more intelligent than that. Um, but I guess go, coming back to the point, so so I, we kind of we know that with life insurance, we, we are doing some sexy stuff to it, the ability to flex up and down, which no one's ever done before, um, ability to extend the guarantee, um, sort of like annual check-ins. So they're all quite innovative things. But what was what we agreed on was that that wasn't enough. It it had to have some other utility involved in it. Mm. It had to have something like the death wishes to to really bring it to life. Um, so t- yeah, tell us what about these death wishes because I think that's a a very interesting component of the product. A, a dead happy and how does that work? Yeah, I mean, well, effectively they're, they're like an expression of wish. So they're they're what you what you want to have when you die. It's as simple as that, and they can be anything. They can be um, uh, it can be defining your own funeral, or it can be giving money or paying off the mortgage. Kind of anything you want. And I guess, I guess the, the really interesting thing for us, as I always said, is that we're not actually interest, that interested in the death part. That's kind of, it is what it is. It's the, it's the ability to, to create, I hate this word legacy, but this, this thing in the future that you can, you can make a difference, a, a real difference to people's lives with these death wishes. So let's get the death bit out of the way. Um, the death wishes can fuel... Um, some amazing things for other people, I guess. Do you have that any examples of some of the death wishes? Really yeah, I mean, I, I, I know I, I'm interested in this because I know I think we talked about this as well, Phil, about some of the, the death wishes you guys have um, that, have, that have come through from customers. Would you be able to sort of share any that some of the customers have already put together that you think sort of example for what, what could be done and, and how you guys help that happen? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a, there's a few sweary ones there, isn't there? We've got a swear on here. We're absolutely <laughs> fine. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll, I'll give you, I mean, a few of my favorites. I think that the essence, as Andy described, the essence of this thing is it's putting, it, it's allowing the customer to tailor exactly what they want to happen and be in control, precisely says beyond that death, of what some stuff that happens and makes a really amazing thing has happened. So I love, and I do get quite, you know, Emotional when I think about some of these things that, that our customers have come up with, whether it's sending a you know a, a bouquet of the favourite flowers to their partner on the anniversary of the death, so that they feel they're never going to be forgotten. Um, mm. You can have one of our favourites is is one of the most popular ones is uh, you can send your ashes into space so that you know your children or grandchildren, you know the olds all look up and you know grandpa's up there in the sky. Well, you really are up there in the sky. Um, uh, you can have. Um, uh, I think Dominic, who's um, uh, he was a third man into the business, um, who, who um, he he's uh, I'm not sure whether it was his idea, um, but put out this death wish around having a bronze statue of yourself made, so no one will ever forget you. Um, and and the point about all of these examples is that you can do anything, and there are some rude ones. <laughs> there are some people who have um, all sorts of different things. They have, but they're creative about it, and they're bespoke about it. And there's a real emotional connection. And if I'd said to you, William, that we've developed a way of getting an emotional connection to a life insurance product, you'd have thought I'd be bonkers. But actually, I think that's what the Death Wish platform allows. Um, and it's hugely powerful. I think that's also as well, just a, like an example of uh, being able to buy your son a new pair of football boots every season to go and play football. You know, 
it, it comes uh, from you as mm. from um, it, I think stuff it's so it's not the big things it's just the little mm. the little attachments the little emotional things that you can create I, I think are amazing and we're really we have a TV at, at the work and we we do have the death wishes come on the screen every you know, when they're made and, and they go and stuff and it is a privilege to be able to see them read them um, it is amazing and so because also they're not what you yeah. think in a way they're just they're really they're just they're just the messaging is just so personal mm. um, yeah it's brilliant Mm, that's hyper personalized service i mean yeah so so i understand it i mean some beautiful ones there, like buying football boots i mean who who wouldn't be touched by that i mean i have i have three children and the idea that if i was to to, to die before i was able to see them through all of their football seasons that buying them having them boots arrive every season that is that is beautiful that is really really lovely um is this so i understand it that the the customer makes the death wish through the platform and and how does that act again? Are you guys helping to action that, or is that then just passed on to the family to help? To, and you give them the money to to action that. How does that sort of practically work? So currently, um, they act like an expression of wish, like so, uh, like a codicil to the will. Um, so they aren't legally binding. And as you say, we what we would we do is we contact the next of kin, we lay out the death wishes, and then we will offer to make those happen. So we will facilitate them, um, and it, you know it doesn't take a, a genius to see that there's a huge opportunity for us in in a, a provision of death services um, mm. is ultimately where we get to with the business as we mm. as we grow. So because we think it's really important if we can to make these things happen, there is a plan to to make these things actually legally binding, um, hopefully using some of the blockchain. Um, because if we could put the death wishes on the blockchain, we can guarantee the authenticity of the wish and so forth. Um, and then they you know, potentially can meet the criteria of being effectively in trust. And at that stage, then obviously it's, it's you know, more certain and we can actually then very much say, well, you know, we don't have, they don't have to use us, but we can facilitate these things. And that's, that's certainly big, a part of the bigger picture for us um, yeah. because ultimately that's the moment of truth. You know, selling life insurance in itself is 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 not the most edifying thing, um, but actually making these things happen, making these people's wishes happen, is for us probably the the most important part of, of all of this. So, um, mm. and it's something that we very much look forward to um, to building on, and, and no doubt creating you know hundreds and hundreds of wonderful stories. Do it. It gets me thinking, really, that as a as a form of insurance, you said it's the simplest product, but I suppose it's also one of the most meaningful or purpose filled products potentially as well. Um, what do you think about that? And is that was that sort of what I mean? You both shared very personal stories as well. You know, one one near death experience, the other with you know mental health, you know, conditions which were stopping you from getting the cover that you need. These are like really like human, like just meaningful stories. You know, it's not like I'm insuring my car that I'm going to get rid of in three years. So, yeah, I just wonder what is that something you actually you thought about or you're continually thinking about this purpose and how that serves you and the business? Oh, I think so. Very much so. I mean, we we talk about this. The product is for us. We often call it. It's the ultimate gift of love. 
mm. because it's, the, it's one of the most selfless things you can do. Buying an insurance product, generally, you are the beneficiary of the insurance product. In this instance, clearly you are not because you have to be dead. So in that sense, but um, as you've, you know, as you've already, as you've sort of hit, you've struck upon, um, it's, it is possibly the most important, you, you might argue, of insurance products because insurance is there to, to deal with catastrophe. Mm-hmm. Um, there isn't much bigger catastrophe than you, know, you dying in your own world, for sure, and probably in, in the world of your loved ones. Um, and, and the, it can't ever, you know, it, can't, it doesn't solve the problem. You, unfortunately, you have still died and we can't change that fact, but we can make life a whole lot better and a whole lot easier, um, by doing what we're doing. And so I guess we are quite driven, you know, and we, we probably one of the biggest triggers for actually doing something and getting the business set up was realizing the number of people out there who just have no cover whatsoever. Um, mm. Um, and come back to that concept that literally every every day hundreds of people die, um, leaving their loved ones in in a you know in a obviously a, a terrible state. Yeah, that's, that's that's right. Also with the, the the whole will process, I remember getting will done mm-hmm. near where I was, and I I downloaded it off the internet and I tried to make sense of it, tried to understand what it what it was talking about. I think I did it, and then I had to go to um, an office somewhere with going to a room with this guy I'd never met before and I signed it, he signed it and then I, I went home and stuck it in the back of the filing cabinet and, it, and it's sort of like, you know, it's like wow, is that it? Is that, is that really is, okay, I've got a will now but it's got to be better than that, surely. Yeah. It's got to be, it's got to be, that is absolutely rubbish. Um, mm. And and so, so and that, you know, with the death wishes there, they, they combined into the life insurance you know, we want people to be able to make you know changes whenever they want to the to because the, life changes mm. you know kids grow up we we want different things at different times so to be able to change a, a will or your death wishes or your life insurance at any point during your your life days you should be able to do mm. and you can't you can, no, you no, can't no, yeah. <laughs> well, I want to. I want to get through to because I mean, people listening to this, I don't want them to be mistaken that dead happy is just a you know a fancy sales play, you know, and you've got this because yeah. you've also done some pretty innovative things with the with the actual pricing and how you actually get your product, your your policy. You can do it damn quick, right? So, um, and and I suppose that leads me on to my next sort of you know kind of question really about product innovation and marketing because you've got like the experienced insurance guy phil keep calling you that i'm sorry and and then we got we got the cool marketer um but seriously i i ask because i know you've got this really really cool way of actually signing up so tell us about the innovation that you're creating with with dead happy as well i mean it- Genuinely, I, actually, what we've done is not hugely innovative. Uh, I, I really believe that. All we've done is what I think is common sense and really mirrors what you would expect of every other normal general insurance product. So, you know, traditionally, life insurance is sold for thick, long fixed-term policies. The average length in the UK is 23 years. Um, 
Now, if you ask why that is, most will say, oh, it's related to the length of mortgage or something like that. But we just ask the question, well, why is it that long? No one buys these, no one buys products, any other product for that length of time. You know, even if you're buying a mortgage, you buy a deal for two years, three years, whatever. Um, so it doesn't really make sense, actually. Um, so you buy that, so that's, you, first of all, they buy it for, sell it for a very long period of time. The second bit is it's inflexible, and we've touched on that already. So you can't change it. So as your needs change over time, you can't do anything about it. And the third bit um, that they do, which is, again, unusual um, for insurance, is they price it on a level term. So if you're paying £30 a month, day one, month one, you're paying £30 a month at the end of your 25 years. So... Um, they tell you that's just so you've got certainty. But it doesn't take a rocket scientist to work out that your risk of dying is obviously a lot lower when you're younger than when you're older. So you're overpaying for that product for the first 10, 15 years and then underpaying for the last 10 years. Well, this is, this is fundamentally and very evidently not good for the customer. And the reason being, first of all, the statistics are the majority of customers cancel those policies after eight years. Why do they cancel them? Well, they fail to meet their needs because their needs have, needs have changed and you can't change the product. And all of those things were real triggers for us. So we said, well, every other insurance policy, you, 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 you buy it, you pay based on your risk today, not your future risk. You can change it so it can flex. If you change your car, change your house, you just change it. You don't have to cancel the policy and start again. Um, so... Um, and, and you buy it typically for a year. So that's actually what we set out with life insurance. Um, you know, flexible price based on your age today. Um, the only difference we recognized is with life insurance, you do need a bit of a longer guarantee because if you get a nasty disease, um, like a, a lung cancer or something like that, it doesn't necessarily kill you straight away. Hopefully it won't kill you at all, but you know. Um, and so you need a guarantee that if you got to an annual renewal, as an insurer is going to turn around and say, oh, sorry, you know, we're not going to insure you anymore because you've now got lung, lung cancer. So you, you need to give them a guarantee of cover. We actually started out with a five years and ultimately customers told us it wasn't quite long enough. So we've ended up with a 10-year guarantee. Um, and the reason it's 10 years is because statistically, um, if you contract something like a lung cancer, it's going to kill you within that 10-year period. If it hasn't killed you after 10 years, you'll probably survive. Um, and the, the, if there is a clever bit, what we've done is that 10-year guarantee, you can extend every year. So this is the other bit that, again, every other insurance does, life insurance doesn't. We speak to the customer every year and say, hey, you know that life insurance policy you bought and those death wishes that you've got, are they all still relevant? Are you happy with them? You know, Do you need to increase them, decrease them, whatever? And then what we also do is you say, oh, we've got nine years left on your guarantee. Do you want to extend it back out to 10 years? So it's a rolling 10-year guarantee. Hmm. So this policy is completely flexible and works with you and can work with you forever. And that just, you know, and, and, and all of that stuff is very standard, normal behavior for all other products. Um, and I often say, William, that if I came, you know, if I went to, you know, VC backers and said, I've got a brilliant new health insurance product where I... I'm going to sell it for a 25-year term. I'm going to fix the price um, based on your average age over those 25 years. So it'll be quite a lot more expensive uh, and fix the cover. Um, but it'll make us loads of money because that's actually what life insurance does. 
No one would buy it. Mm. Uh, but that's what they that's what happens to currently in life insurance. And that's all we've done is we've just said, look, let's let's work this out. Let's let's apply some some you know, focus on what the customers actually wants and needs and make it flexible and so forth. And 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 it is radically different um from everything else that out there that's out there but the thinking isn't you know it's not rocket science for sure we've done that with the, the question set as well so for me that was one of the most enjoyable things when we started is getting the hundred questions that life insurance companies usually ask you and then sort of diving into the detail a bit being a bit childish about it so why 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 this why that and it, it actually kind of work out that um uh, you know you, you look at the question set and there's maybe 40 questions to go, well, to answer those, you would have had to have seen a doctor. So we could say, have you seen the doctor in the last two years? If it's yes, then we can go with it. But if it's no, we can skip a massive chunk out mm. and just move on to the next question. So it's not as if we're sort of underwriting on just poor small questions. We're just being smart in the way we ask the questions and and realizing that we don't need a load of data we just need a you know the the, the bare minimum mm. i think that's a really good point it's exactly the design uh, and the language we use in the questions are are intended to be just simplified um and and and, and that's something that i suppose you know, a lot of people have been calling for simplification and avoidance of jargon and, and, and products like ours um, deliver. I think the other thing, the reason why, to your particular question, why can we do it in such a short period of time? You know, have four questions. How can we deliver it in four questions? Well, a big driver of that is if you're taking a 25-year bet, that's a hell of a long bet. Mm. And so the insurers want as much information as possible. Because we're only taking a 10-year bet and then rolling it forward, we don't need anywhere near as much information because it's exponentially, you know, all this hereditary stuff. Why are you asking a 25-year-old, uh, you're insuring them until they're 35, or even mm -hmm. a 35-year-old to 45, about stuff that generally doesn't impact people until they're in their 60s? You don't mm. need to know it. What we do have is the ability, which no, no other, because they don't engage with a customer, which is just insane, is we just ask customers more questions each year. You know, so if there comes a point that maybe it's a triggered where we just need to understand a little bit about their um, family history, well, we've got the opportunity of doing that at the refresh process. Um, so we, that's another one of the ways that we've been able to really shorten that onboarding process um, and make it pain relatively pain free um, for customers. So let's talk about customer voice then again, Liberty. So you you take Trustpilot and Facebook reviews. And they're coming in quite regularly. Are you getting sort of like a large volume of that? And how do you go out and look at that information? Do you have a team that are dedicated to, to pulling that information and then feeding that yeah. back into the process? Well, I suppose we have, um, the way the company sets up, we have what we call their honchos, which are, are like a customer support team. And their job is to effectively look after the customers. So, so their, their sole job is to, is to help people, these people get insurance. And uh, even if they have to fight, you know, they're tasked with fighting against everyone else in the business to make it happen. Um, so they, they can come up to Phil and I and say, you sort this, sort this fucking thing out because this customer wants this and it's a problem, so you've got to get it sorted. So this is how we sort of set them up. Um, and they're constantly uh, on Facebook uh, sort of 
going through comments and stuff. So, so we pick up uh, a lot of signals about what's not quite right, what's wrong, what we need to maybe improve on, what messaging isn't quite right. Um, so yeah, that's how we... Yeah. And, and, and you choose the name Honcho. You call them a Honcho for a specific reason, right? Hon that's, honchos, yeah. 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 Why did you Why did you call them that? I have no idea. I know, it was, that, was definitely, that was definitely Dominic's idea. I know. Yeah. I, I just want to build on that because I, I think there's a, a, a good example of how that's worked. And, work, and mm -hmm. I think worked something that's really important on, and, you know, it was, it was something that we hadn't necessarily sold on coming in, but Annie mentioned around access, you know, life, access for life insurance to mental health uh, for people with mental health conditions. So we, mm -hmm. when we launched, we had a lot of people who were being declined because, you know, they had all this typical, um, you know, declaration. I think 30% of people have, have yeah, some sort of... Third. Yeah, yeah mm. third of people have, have a mental health condition. And it might be... Probably, you know, probably anxiety. far more. They just don't call it that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, and so, you know, anxiety, depression, whatever it might be. Mm. Um, and, and this is one of the big things that the honchos were hearing and saying, well, look, this is a problem because actually um, at the moment, you know, um, we're, we're, we aren't making it easy for these people to, to get covered. So we took all the evidence and we literally had huge amounts. I don't know how much we, we presented a big pack of evidence from customers describing, you know, a, what they had in terms of what they were declaring and their issues and said, look, why, you know, we took it to the insurer and said, why can't we make these, get these guys insured? Because let's be really clear. These people are not suicidal. You know, we're not talking about people who are, and there is this classic moral risk. You know, we get that with life insurance that if someone is genuinely suicidal, you know, they might think, "Oh, right, well, I, um, I'm going to go and get some life insurance and then do the deed, and you know, my family is set up." So every insure, every life insurer, and we're no different, excludes suicide um, for mm. the first typically year for that reason. And that sort of is logical, but we had an opportunity because of our construct. Um, um, to change the, our, the approach to the people with mental health uh, conditions because what happens with every other policy is it, because it's fixed, because they don't speak to customers and they say, well, we, we've got to be able to cover people for suicide after a period. So typically after a year, they automatically include suicide as a risk. But then anyone who declared a mental health condition, they make it incredibly difficult for them to get the cover, even though they're not in truth suicidal but the inflexibility of the product demanded this so we took it to the insurers and said well look we speak to the customer every year so we can if they've declared a mental health condition they're everyone's excluded for suicide we, uh, uh, and they're telling us they're quite happy to can always have suicide excluded they just want cover because they might be run over by a bus mm. they might get mm. cancer they might die of something. They just want life insurance. And if you mm. and, and, and so we've got the ability to speak to that customer every year and say, hey, you know, tell us about um, that, 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 those mental health conditions. Do you want to be covered for suicide or not? If you don't, fine, we'll carry on excluding it and you can still get cover and you've got no loadings, no extra questions to answer. It's simple. Mm. Um, and if you do want the cover for suicide, then we just need to go into the more detail. And that is an illustration of, that's come directly from you know and it was a very high um amount of noise directly from the customer that allowed us to and we convinced the insurer to say look this version of the product we should have we should allow anyone declaring a mental mm -hmm. health condition to have cover without any extra questions 
at normal terms and then we will then continue to exclude suicide until such time as they want it otherwise and and, and we ask more questions and that has i think is a really good example of listening to that customer and delivering something they absolutely want and demand mm. that is a really elegant solution a simple elegant yeah. solution to a to an absolute need i um and it's, but it's really simple as well isn't it it's yeah. uh, it's it's I don't care. I'm not going to I don't, keep it off the policy. I don't care about it. Yeah, um, it's simple. It really is. But yeah. um, for some Being reason, depressed. Yeah, shouldn't be a shouldn't be a, a yeah. an exclusion to to whether or not you can actually be covered, as you said, to other unknown situations that may occur to you like yeah. being hit by a bus or by um, developing a terminal illness. Absolutely. And if it's, and but I hear in that, that the, the key to it is being in communication with your customer. And, you know, I know my own experience of having um, health life insurance is that I get a letter through and the letter says I have to write in. So the, so the way that you're keeping in contact with your customers, you're just using modern methodology, right? They're signing up online. You've got their email. You can be in a communication with them. They've got these death wishes. So they're already engaged with the platform um, and the way that you're operating. And then you're bringing in modern, like, kind of marketing methods. I, I have been through your process, by the way, in sort of trying to sign up. And I got, like, you know, kind of sequence of emails, which I presume were sort of email sequenced and were coming through a system, which is a modern sales marketing methodology which i thought was actually very very well done and it was very tailored with the sort of the, the dead happy um marketing voice which also i appreciated so i i sort of think that there's, there is something to be said about elegance in in innovation you know doing something smart but simple um and and it's and focusing on the little things as well it's it's something it's the is really I mean, it's just the, the bits about the emails. So just make sure that you know, there's certain things in there that people will probably just skip over in the mm. in a company. We'll just yeah, it's fine. Just get it out. Just craft everything. Just make sure it's all perfect mm. or just all right. Um, I think it's it's an add adding up those little things make a hell of a difference. Yeah, the thing that I I really value. Um, well, there are many things, but the one of the things that I really value around. Um, what Andy does, and you know, just something that I miss is that he's crafted this whole tone of voice. You know, the whole of the attitude and dead happy, the whole of the because it's you know, it is about it's just it's it's recognizing this is how. And I think the phrase we often used was it's how you know if you're down at the pub chatting to a mate, that's how you want to communicate because why wouldn't you? You know, mm. there's no need to be stuffy and formal with this stuff deal with it and you know the way that and people really value that and they really appreciate it and it's not trying to be too mate we're not trying to be their best mate or anything like that but it's using humor appropriately because everyone you know <laughs> likes to smile um and humor is a really good and useful tool to deal with a difficult topic of course um mm -hmm. and it's use of that all the way through right down to the you, know, you talked about the detail if you've ever read any of our and I, you probably haven't but it illustrates the point very well um have a look at the footer on our emails very few people do but when you do i guarantee it'll make you laugh and that's the that's the level of detail that we get to in making sure that our tone of voice um goes all the way through the experience uh, mm. and i think it's the, it's one of the things i'm most proud of mm. so how does that how does that happen how does that culture of detail happen uh, because that's not easy so 
you've got to have a certain attitude. You've got to be have an openness. So how does that work inside the team? I mean, my response is I just think it's because we care. We care a lot. You know, that, so, you know, if you're right, it, and, and especially when you're growing and, you know, there's a lot going on and it would be easy just to, to skip over this stuff. And, you know, we don't get it right 100% of the time. Of course we don't. Um, but I absolutely know, and, and I'm probably guilty of almost just accepting, I know that, you know, and it'll be Andy, and then we have many other brilliant people within this space, like um, Eddie, who sort of heads up our brand stuff. Um, they will come around and review all of the things that have been, you know, recent developments and updates, the rest of it, and, and they'll just say, actually, you know, guys, look, this isn't this isn't working over here. This isn't right. This doesn't fit from a customer perspective. This doesn't flow well. We've lost the, you know, some of the attitude here, or whatever it might be. And so it's just a constant review um is i think the only is it, it it has to be part of your dna um it doesn't stop us doing stuff and that's really important and it could do um it's this balance of just going out getting stuff done recognizing you're not going to get it all right and then just reflecting and reviewing and being disciplined about making sure we do yeah but couple with that is is trying to um just trying to instill our values through everyone so you know there, there is some reviewing stuff but a lot of the stuff is just done because people have started to understand us getting to getting to grips with the tone of voice and understand it and understanding the attitude and it all comes out with the company values it's all sort of it's all bubbling underneath mm. so that people can go away and be very agile and autonomous about what they do and so they they can you know write, write an ad whatever and send it out and it'll be pretty well there so tell us about your values then that, that's something I'd be very interested to hear about. Right? Do you have company values that you sort of talk about or how do they work? Let, let me, I'll, I'll share a couple of my, I mean, we have five company values and, and I, you know, we, we do a lot of time and effort in making sure that people fit. This is how we, we interview to values, you know, rather than, because you can teach people to do stuff. You can't teach people how to be. Mm. So, um, you know, we, you know, we're, look, we're a startup. So we're, you know, we, we've, for example, one of the things we, we look for, as everyone, I guess, does, is people who are self-starters, autonomous, and all the rest of it. And the way we describe it in our values is you're not a child. So we don't tell you how, what time to get up in the morning, what to get dressed, what to have for breakfast. What to, you know. So we're not going to tell you what to do when you come into work. You've got to take responsibility for yourself and just do it. And that, that brings with you some brilliant privileges. So we don't have any working hours, you know, set working hours or holidays or anything like that. We say, look, you can work all of that stuff out yourselves. We don't mind. You can take it. Frankly, you can take as much holiday as you like. Just get the job done. That's you're an adult. You can work that out. We'll support you and whatever support you need. Come and ask again. If you need help, you're an adult. Just come and ask. That's what it's all about. So that would be one example. But yeah, that's one of our, our core values. Don't be the a child. One, yeah. Don't, yeah. Exactly. Well, I think well, it's you're not you're not a fucking child. You're you're not <laughs> <laughs> you're not you're not a fucking child. That's is that yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it's more childish to say that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um one of my other favorite ones, um, which I know always raises a few eyebrows, um, is none of us know what we're doing. Um uh, and what we mean by that is it doesn't matter how experienced you are, how many times you know you've been around the block. You know, no, 
you know, no one's right all the time. No one's got the divine right, you know, to, and, and we, we passionately believe that, you know, the collective, you know, contribution from everyone, from their different perspectives and collaboration will deliver a better outcome than someone from on high dictating a direction or a route or whatever. So the articulation of none of, because none of us have done this before, you know, I've done, you know, I probably, I'm one of the oldest in the business. I've definitely done a lot of stuff in my life, but I've never set up a digital life insurance business. So I don't know all the answers for sure, as I regularly demonstrate. And often my view is turned around. Um, mm. But that's a really important cultural bit because in many businesses, you know, people, is it, I think, I think the phrase is hippo. Uh, people defer to the highest paid person in the room. Um, you know, that hierarchy of, oh, well, because they're the, you know, most senior person, they must be right. So, so that's what we mean by that value. None of us know what we're doing. Every, everyone can have a good idea. We've got to work collaboratively uh, and, and, and collectively uh, rec- you know, um, work to, and, and the best thoughts, and the best way forward will emerge from all of that. Um, so, so I've got so far. You're not a fucking child, and none of us knew what we're doing. I've got to be saying these are so far some of them. So, I mean, they, they underpin them. We have like action and being responsible for action. That's that's like the 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 child component, and then you have the second part, which I hear is like humility. You know, none of us know what we're doing, so let's all be humble here. Yeah, and it's okay to fail. You yeah. know, yeah. but don't do it often. Don't do this. You know, <laughs> don't do it twice. But it's all right to fail because it, you know it is effectively. We can do yeah. something. We can get it wrong. We can learn. We can more or less. In a lot of cases, we can just roll back quite quickly to where we were. Mm. Um, and we, yeah, we learn. It, it is. It is that. And so, what's the next ones? I'm I'm intrigued to hear the next ones now. Can't so, yeah. that, that's trade secrets. For it, that is. <laughs> Oh no! Um, no, we're gonna we're gonna give one of them because it's swearing again. Yeah, give a shit. <laughs> yes, give a give shit. Give a okay. shit. So that and that is all about caring. You know, caring for you, caring for your colleagues, caring for the team you work with, um, being passionate about something uh, outside of work, being passionate about something. Um, yeah. Uh-huh. Just, how do you reinforce these? Because I can imagine for like someone, you know, either coming from a traditional environment, you know, I've had other, you know, guests on founders who spoke about their values and they certainly don't have quite the sort of colorful language that you guys are bringing to this. Um, but that is that sort of just, and how you hire has to, you, do you talk about this in this type of way? And I suppose either, yep. either rules people in or it rules them out, right? Either they want to be in that or they don't. Is that, what you found as well yeah it's difficult because when they when they come it is always that sort of thing but people want a job so they'll they'll just agree to anything uh, not agree to anything i don't mean that but they'll just accept anything um uh but it's definitely not for everyone it's certainly for a few people some people just can't we we've had people in that kind of shell-shocked in a way about and and a bit lo- a bit lost at times but not too sure how to move things forward um but I think, and I think that's maybe just a hangover from businesses that are structured mm. in those departmental ways. I mean, we don't have departments. We have it's very gamey how we set it all up. We have missions and challenges, and we have teams that come together to form. We'll create a challenge. A team will come together. 
and they just they crack on and solve it or, or get to solve the problem and then we park it create another challenge all that sort of stuff so it's, it's really it's not very departmentalized at all and it can be really chaotic and confusing and annoying i would imagine just coming in um but i, I think it's a bit like maybe snowboarding it takes the first week of snowboarding is a is a disaster and then once you're over it it becomes much easier and smoother mm. um i think it's it could be kind of like that yeah that, that's but an interesting just, note so you yeah. actually so i want to just double click on that for a moment so you you don't you have missions and like challenges so this is more like a sort of a D D type environment where you have a, 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 a and where does that come from is that something you guys have sort of been influenced by agile is that sort of from gaming is that where does that that methodology for getting stuff done come from yeah it's, it's a bit a bit of everything really so a bit of game a bit of autonomous working we 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 started a load of um, working practices from lots of other people, spoke to loads of other businesses that are doing something similar, and then we kind of came upon our ways of working, which was all about missions, challenges, you know, who we have in what mission, and we have navigators and drivers, and because we're all going to, a, it's all that sort of, so it's all a very sort of different language, but um, it kind of makes a lot of sense. It's just we've got immediate challenge of, we need more people to convert from our landing page. We need to up it by 1%. That's the challenge. Uh, so let's create a challenge around that. Who do we need? We need you know, Dave, we need Eddie, we need Dominic. In we go and you get in a room and you, you sort of chat it out about how you're gonna uh, tackle, the, tackle the challenge and off you go. So you, you've given me three. Um, you said there were five. Can you share the other two? Or are, are you yeah. not? Yeah, no, no. <laughs> we can yeah. do it. So, <laughs> so, the, so the other two are, um, if you don't, who the fuck will? So that's just about, you know, look, we're a startup. You know, we don't have layers of responsibility. You know, people that you have to roll up your sleeves. And and I think I'm, I'm confident to say there is nothing in the business that, you know, any of us are, uh, you know, somehow too important to do. You just just get on and do it, and and that I think that variety is good for everyone. Um, but if you see a problem, don't just ignore it. Deal with it, and whether you can't deal with it yourself, take it somewhere. It's that 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 sense of ownership, um, which we think is really important. Um, and the final one, which you know, I guess we, we do recognize is, uh, to my mind, it's probably the most important thing, certainly having seen various cultures and different different businesses, um, is people over business. Because fundamentally, we would have no business if we didn't have really um, highly engaged people. So, you know, we, from a values perspective, you know, if someone, well, they don't even have to ask, you know, if, if someone needs to do something, they just go and do it. Um, it's it's just know. like the school runs, isn't it? It's it's yeah. Don't miss out on that. Go and do the school runs because it's a magical moment. You know, just mm. just go and do it, and then work work around work can happen around that sort of stuff. Mm. Yeah, it's this concept that you know some people divide their lives into you know I'm, I'm work over here and I've got a home life here. Well, our view is well, life doesn't work that way, especially these days. You know, it's so you've got to make sure that you actively don't miss out on those important things and that and actually those things in our mind are probably more important mm. you know doing the things with the family because if you do that you are happier in yourself you're more content and you'll do a better job so 
um, you know, it just, it's logical. It makes sense to make sure that people have, uh, you know, people love the freedoms they have um, to do exactly, you know, all the important things. And most of those won't be to do with the business. And that's, that's fine. And that's good. And that's enabling. And that's a really important value for us because we get happier, more engaged and more productive people because of it. Yeah, I've I've been thinking about this a lot and I am known for being a values-based headhunter. So I recruit and I interview based on values as my primary tool when mm. I'm assessing people. And you said it quite interestingly at the beginning of the sort of description that you primarily focus on values. And it, it, it strikes me that people seemingly forget this point is that values are effectively culture, right? And if people believe in culture enough, you create a cultural environment for them, which they truly feel they can be themselves. They can go to the school run. They can become to work fully authentic as they are, dress as they want, share their sexual preferences, share their, yep. Um, yep. their sense of humor, all of the things that make us fully people. They have an environment, a culture in which they can be that person. They will fight to make that, to, to keep that alive. That that is motivation in action. We will, and and I suppose that that what enables companies to thrive ultimately because it allows you to keep really good people. It allows you to have long term relationships. That's certainly what I believe. I, I wonder if what I've just said you think is absolute crap, or if that's effectively no, what no. You're, you're seeing as well. Andy, I think we should hire him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's spot on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah and I, I, I think more companies can start to do this. Take the bland out of it. Make it more. Make make the working environment more authentic. I think more and more firms are recognising this. And interestingly, I think in the insure tech scene is that you know you have to compete against the massive firms who have much more clout, much more financial muscle. Maybe can offer more benefits and such. You've got to compete where you can compete, and that's by you know creating really wonderful environments for a certain type of person, and that sort of is a meta concept for the customers that you're serving as well by creating a really clear experience what they want. It, so, it, um, it, it, it is interesting because the because we get a lot of stuff on a fair amount of hate on Facebook. Well, actually, it's less and less these days, but we are a lot of times we're um, we're told we're unprofessional, hmm. and and it. To be able to wear what you want to work, and to you know take time off whenever you want, you know, is that unprofessional? Mm. Just because we don't wear a tie, you know, it's yeah. is, is that how it's defined? Mm. Yes, there's a there's a, a lovely phrase that we've stolen you know, transparently from a, from another business, which just describes that beautiful beautifully. Suits don't make you smart. Mm. Um, and that's you know that's the essence of it. Just let and you. I mean, I think the word you use, William, is authentic, and that's what we want people to be able to be be themselves. Authentic. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, people often ask, you know, as you often do, and casually, no idea what I do. And people ask what I do. You know, what's my job? What do I do? Um, and I often describe my role um, is I'm just simply an, an enabler. I just my role is to to allow people to do their very best work. Mm. I thought you were going to say, I am the lime knight. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Can't believe you let that one out of the bag. Keep, keep the alter ego under wraps. <laughs> but apart from my superhero status, yes. Um, uh, yeah, no, I just, that's how I see my role, you know, is mm. because 
um, you know that that for me is the is the job of of management. For example, it's not to manage people; it's to enable people and to allow them to do their best work. And whatever that takes is what what what, what we should strive to do. And, and I I think this is really nice to talk about well being because I know you were sort of kind enough, Andy, brave enough to share your own experience there at the beginning of our our call about you know why you even thought about like um buying life insurance and your own history of depression which we have to fight to to break down these taboos by the way about talking about this but um it certainly has become much more apparent in pandemic time where you know mental health has been obviously much more on the surface for for leaders and companies because it's just been there right and so i wonder with this sort of you know strong culture this authenticity this sort of I, I hear in you guys like kind of being able to say what you feel and be a little bit more risky but authentic how that's helped you maintain the well-being of yourselves and also the team has that enabled sort of you to to sort of bridge that gap between work and life and and yeah just your thoughts on that and how you've responded to the pandemic and and if you've observed that at all um yeah i think one of the interesting things we do in with with the teams is when we have check-ins they're about feelings so it's it's not what have you done or what are you doing it's how are you feeling about the challenge and it's from that that we get the most interesting information out so it's not it's usually when you say somebody yes i've done x y and z uh, but i haven't done whatever because of this you don't really sort of you don't really get a clear picture of what's going on, but if you ask someone mm. how they're feeling about it, it makes a hell of a difference. So, so the the feeling part's quite important, and mm. you know it sounds a bit airy fairy, but it is. It it uh, how people feel about what they're doing is really important. Mm. And I, and I think um, you know we so our response to the pandemic and people you know having to work forced to work from home in sometimes very difficult circumstances you know everyone is as well aware people with young children in, in confined spaces trying to work and trying to look like, homeschool and you know oh it's a nightmare so you know we i'm sure we we didn't get it right all the time but we just recognized that that's going to impact people massively and you've got to account for it so so don't just pretend it isn't there do what we can to help them with that we did and, and and a lot of this comes from our our general genius um who who she's uh she's tasked with all sorts of things but a lot of it people related and so she would send little sort of you know uh, i suppose you call them welfare packages you know every week there'd be some surprise that would come you know from um the bizarre to the ridiculous um just you know as a as a reminder to everyone that you know what um hope you're doing all right um obviously we don't have the same human contact as we know. i hope you're doing all right and here's something hopefully to bring a smile to your face um and it's that can you share what approach. some of those were I, i'm in i'm intrigued what, <laughs> what was in some of those please I, they've got a i've got a feeling they're gonna be weird and wonderful so yeah, yeah. yeah Andy, really come on, you're smiling you want to tell me what to... <laughs> yeah, it's a jigsaw of phil <laughs> oh there was i kid you not it was the most mortifying thing ever I'm sure that would have plunged everyone into further mental health issues. But, yeah. Jigsaw of filth. <laughs> yeah. Needless to say, that was his idea. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so was that a rather a rather spicy jigsaw that, that when was put together? It was, it was just a, a 
very dull, boring picture of me in uh, in the office one. I don't know. Um, I, yes, that was that was one of <laughs> one of our clearly less successful. Um, uh, yeah, but, uh, but, yeah, like lots of pizza making kit for for you know, meals that night and uh, co- yeah, co- cocktail, cocktail stuff there. and all sorts of stuff. Like that. A jigsaw, a fill, a, a, a cocktail kit. Um, what was the other one? Pizza. Pizza, Pizza making. Uh, yeah, that's really nice. Yeah, Cho- chocolate with a message on it, you know, um, or chocolates. I think probably that featured a few times. Uh, loads of different things, actually. Um, yeah, amazing how often, you know, number of different things that Lauren came up with. Um, it was fantastic. So um, I just... Um, I just wanted to ask you particularly about like any of the sort of the influences you've had in in how you've created the culture because I, I always like to ask um, guests like three books that they've the books that they really have have influenced their journey to where you are right now or someone who influences you so I'll let you take that anyway either you've got some books that you'd like to share with us um, or some key people that um, have uh, influenced you. You presumed I can read. <laughs> I, I did. Uh, I, I I did absolutely. But you know, picture books are also fine for me. So you know, that's, that's okay. Yeah, comics, um, anything like that. <laughs> I actually really struggled with the question because um, I don't tend to have top things of anything. Um, it's sort of like, what's your favourite movie? What's your favourite this? I I can't. Mm. There, I can't think of one. I, there isn't one. Um, so I'm not too sure I could answer the question. Yeah. I'm not a great reader of, you know, business books. Um, I'm aware of a few, but I find them generally very, you know, they they manage to eke out a, you know, 200 page book with an, you know, one or two ideas. And I find that quite frustrating bluntly. Um, But actually I was reflecting on the question. And I think if I think about literature and what inspires me, there are several, just any almost biopics, things where they describe and it may well be fictional and it may be real where you see someone's whole life story and you see you know what this is a long journey Um, Mm -hmm. and we're often caught up in the moment but it it takes you know if you you look at these um you know examples um caught in literature about actually you, you 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 just just to step back and think about the long picture you know think about the big picture um, and that moment in time really defines you. And I find that really in- actually helpful and inspiring. Um, so whether that be, you know, the big classics of like, you know, the real Mandela's long walk to freedom, you know, that whole story is extraordinary. Of course it is, you know, and you'd never have believed the outcome at the beginning of that. But, but look how, you know, life is a strange old place. Um, or in, if you want a, a sort of, a fictional route um, for me, a town like Alice, Neville Shoot. Again, it's a it's an extraordinary story. Um, again, you'd never believe, you'd never see the end uh, at the start of that book. Um, both beautiful stories, and I think that's a great reminder that you know, we yes, we live in the moment. We think about what's happening today and tomorrow, but actually, just just remember that you know hopefully um you know it's we're going to be around for a little while um and an awful lot can happen some of it in your control and some of it not and just just be um and influence as far as you can but i do find those those are the things that that really inspire me 
Thank you for sharing those. Well, um, gentlemen, I just want to say thank you for, for coming on the show and sharing all of your experiences. Um, it's been a wide ranging conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Um, for those of out there listening, um, dead happy, where can they find you if they want to come and see some of this, this really interesting product that you've created and messaging, how, how can they find you deadhappy.com, Right. But, um, mm -hmm. if they want to yeah. reach you on social media, do you, do you do that? And is there anything else you'd recommend? Oh, yes. Out? Oh, all, all the usual channels apply, um, you know. Just uh, stick dead happy on the end, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but whether it be Twitter or Facebook or all, all the usual things. And, yeah, just come and, come and have a play and come and make a death wish. It's, you know, it's completely free to do. Just come and start thinking about it. And we haven't touched on it. Our bigger purpose, changing attitude to death. It's all about getting people just to spend a moment thinking about what's an inevitable thing. And we think a death wish, making a death wish or two, is a great place to start. And it's free. Wonderful. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much again for, for coming on Thanks and sharing again. your experiences. And um, I'll look forward to following the journey. Brilliant. Thank, thanks a lot, William. Cheers. So if you enjoyed this episode, please remember to subscribe or leave a review on wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us. So thank you very much. We also have a newsletter on our website, talentequals.com, so you can keep up to date with all of the things we're doing here at Talent Equals and the amazing guests that we have coming up this year.